another episode of the VD Clinic. I believe it should be. <laughs> no, it is. Episode 19. And today we are going to send in the clowns. So here with me is my, am I, wait a minute. Am, I would say, who's this straight man and, and who's the, I don't know. Is there supposed to be the, the yin to my yang, at least, in comedic play with clowns? Oh, you know. We're going to learn more about this today, we, but. <laughs> we are going to learn. Yeah, so Darren, hi. Hi. How's your cirrhosis shakes? <laughs> He drinks to forget that he's an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Holy. No. Anyway, we'll wow. get to that later. That's a crazy clown. Yes, we are covering the Bobcat Goldweight directed, written, and starring uh, movie, Shakes the Clown, and the Henry Miller fable novella short story, long short story, <laughs> uh, the um, A Smile at the Foot of the Ladder. So, yeah, we're going to be talking some clowns. And we have a very special interview, which, yes, we teased it. And um, I think some people may have guessed that it was going to be with um, the Dancing Fool. So anyway, I'm I'm excited about that. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Oh no, no problem. Sorry, I thought you were going to chime in. I I well, <laughs> I've been stepping on your words a little bit, so I was taking maybe an extra second too long. But yeah, I am definitely looking forward to that. I I love clowns. I'm not afraid to say it. I at one point really thought about going to clown school. Uh I just I couldn't hack it. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> And you know, yeah. Anyway, I'm stoked. I was just trying to not be so over anxious that I trampled over your introduction. No, that's quite all right. That's quite all right. Yeah, clowns is not. I'm not. I've been immersed in in the world of clowns, not because I'm a clown, but as I said, my mother is a clown. So, and yes, that is who we have here: the dancing fool, aka Vanessa's mom. So, <laughs> prepare yourself for that. One. <laughs> but <laughs> before we get to that, we're going to uh, talk about the Henry Miller story. I'm going to just call it a story because, like I said, is it a short novel or is it a long short story, novella? What are we going to call it? But it's not very long when it's a, considered a novel. So, But the smile at the foot of the ladder. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about our written word for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> our story. <laughs> our fable. Okay. Our be tale. Right be right back. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. 
Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of it. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at twelve years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How be did a rough you watch movie. this shit at twelve? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. And we are back. Like Vanessa said, we were going to start with Henry Miller's story. I'm going to call it that. I think we settled on calling it a story. Yes. The Smile at the Foot of the Ladder. It's... Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) I don't know why I'm stuck on trying to figure out if it's a story or a fable or a novella or whatever. But it's... Forget about what I think... Or the semantics. Forget about the semantics of that. The Smile at the Foot of the Ladder is a story of a clown called Auguste or... uh, That's how I'm going to say it. Auguste, who lives in this sort of one-dimensional fame that that seems to trigger a identity crisis of existential proportions. And it gets very, yeah, uh, I will just say an identity crisis of existential proportions. And we take take a look. We get into it. Do you have anything you would like to add to that summary? No, I... I think that's probably the best way to sum it up because, right, when you look at the number of pages, there's not a lot here. It's, what, less than 50 pages, regardless of your edition that you have. And it's, it is this kind of, it is this kind of, well, Henry Miller himself said he was, and and I think that you can see it when you read it, but Henry Miller himself said he was drawing from these other, these, these painters, these poets, and a very specific mindset had a surrealist quality and it carries over here i mm. think and and even like the description of this book when it you try to find the synopsis of it it's really vague <laughs> um, <laughs> but it does refer to henry miller being inspired by circus and clown drawings of a cubist painter and to me as someone who has a a strong background in visual art and art history i and surrealism is a particular period that i've always been drawn to and the artwork that i have produced myself over the years has tended to be much more surrealist so which is why i enjoyed this book <laughs> i'm just gonna spoiler I'm, I'm saying or the story it's 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 not the most 
perfect thing when you look at the structure of a certain kind of story. But when you think of it in a more surrealist context, it makes more sense. Mm. At least it does for me. But I, I, from, I can see like where Mark Chagall was an influence in how he describes like the visual imagery he draws up with some of the talking about the, the clown's antics that are in the in the middle of his routine and things like that and this whole there this whole kind of i guess influence of angels and and that kind of imagery yeah that that was probably my favorite part of this mm-hmm. it was the the yeah the poetic fluidity that he that he sort of described things and i had a lot of stuff highlighted but like you were talking about being inspired by paintings i don't know a whole lot about different kinds of paintings i i can appreciate mm-hmm. that but, you know, bathed in concentric circles of shadow, there rose tier upon tier of faces broken here and there by empty space spaces, which the well, sunlight licked with the avidity of a tongue in search of a missing tooth. And I'll tell you that passage right there. Yeah. was inspired by Miro. And if you've ever been to the Cincinnati Art Museum, have you? Yes, it's been a while because there's, oh. well, there's many great museums, but I live 15 minutes from one. So I don't always go unless I'm on vacation. To I, different... I, but I was just thinking maybe on some school trip you had gone at some point mm-hmm. over the years even. Yep, but art club in high school. <laughs> right, because Cincinnati's pretty close to you or you grew up. Well, there is one of Miro's mural that is like a 20-foot curved wall that is in that museum. Ooh. And there's some of his mobiles. You probably are have seen more of his mobiles, but talking about this the, the circles and that kind of different imagery, that's very much what Miro had in his artwork, whether it was a mobile or it was a mural or some other kind of work. Mm. So, I, I mean, that like that to me, like, it's this is there's not a lot here but it draws for these very strong images like just visual pictures yeah it's uh, i mean it's yeah it's a long free verse poem it's it's a i don't know <laughs> I, I liked this a lot. I was, you know, I this isn't Max Cady's kind of Henry Miller. Well, I was going to ask you, how much other Henry Miller have you read? I've, I've never finished a whole thing. I, I tried to read Tropic of Cancer and Tropic of Capricorn mm-hmm. after I saw the remake of Cape Fear. <laughs> and um, I don't know if maybe a sh- he's written other short stories, right? I, maybe right. I've, I've read a short story or two, but he he wasn't ever anybody I didn't dislike, but it was somebody like I said earlier about Virginia Woolf. I can totally get why people are fans, but I just mm-hmm. gravitated towards other things. So right. I, was, I was very happy when I read this. I was like, oh, hell yeah. I, you know, well, <laughs> hell he yeah, has, Henry Miller, dude. <laughs> he has a variety of things. And this was definitely a departure from most of his things, I would say, stylistically. But he's he has a variety of types of things that he's, he's written. It's just more people know him more for, okay, Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn. Maybe, you know, what is it? The Nexus, Sexus. Plexus. Yeah. Or whatever the Rosie crucifixion crucifixion yeah. trilogy and I mean I've 
I've read a lot of Henry Miller. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you that. I read a lot of Henry Miller. Um, it's been a while. I enjoy his work, but I enjoy other writers of that time period more, like Anais Nin. I was familiar with her before I was familiar with him, and I and I like her a lot. I started reading her stuff and getting into her stuff even before the, the, I got into her, you know, her more her erotica. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a whole other, <laughs> a whole other issue. Yeah. And me at my Jesuit college, can I just say the, um, I got up and did our, like whatever presentation for some, I forget. It might've been a European writers or a presentation. We had to do an oral presentation and I did one on Anais Nin. <laughs> I think the professor was a priest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, that was a that's the kind of stuff I did. But <laughs> but I was into her before, even before that, just reading her basic short stories and her different dissertations on like D. H. Lawrence and things like that. Before, but then yeah, I started with her erotica before, and then once I guess I started reading her diaries. That's when I started reading Henry Miller. Mm. I had read Henry Miller was already on my to read list because I was already gravitating and picking out a bunch of writers whose works had been banned. So I was like, okay, Tropic of Cancer, that was like my first one I was going to. So that was already on my list. You know, it just kind of coincided when it all happened. But yeah, I like Henry Miller enough and but I I just don't and I I have a fair amount of his work on my bookshelves, but I don't go back to it as often as I do other writers. Mm-hmm. Again, of that time period, like Anais Nin, and then you know, I then if I'm, I'll go to, I'll go back to the beat writers more often than I yeah. will Henry Miller. Like certain subjects that they may write about that are similar. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely more familiar with those kinds of writers, but I definitely see myself going back over that. And uh, on talking about Nexus, Sexus, and Plexus, all I remember is the stuff I was definitely aware of reading of his before was whatever Robert De Niro was talking about in Cape Fear. I don't know <laughs> if it was uh, Cancer and Capricorn or if it was Nexus, Sexus, or Plexus, because I think he talked about all of them in the movie, but he gave her one. And I was like, oh, I'll check that out. He, he read, I think, from two different ones. And I forget which one he gave her. Yeah. But yeah, I'll I'll definitely revisit this and sort of stroll through the, the prose, because mm-hmm. that was definitely my, my favorite. It was very visual. Right. Right. And maybe, you know, maybe it's worth, okay, going back and like looking towards his short stories Mm -hmm. maybe maybe that's what works better for you with him (laughs) possibly or he's more maybe he's more restrained in some way i don't know yeah, I was, you know. But I, I, I like this. I like this so much on a conceptual level, yeah. rather than thinking, "Oh, I, I think it's actually an outstanding book." Though <laughs> I will say that <laughs> I get the the whole sense of you have an existential crisis where you're the idea of there you, you as the performer or well the clown you're behind this 
mask, whatever, and the audience doesn't know the real you. So you're replaceable at any minute, like in a way. There's there's an element of that. But there's also a there's just any just any warm body will do. And does that do, you know, does your time here mean anything? And Yeah. I, he says something later is like something he had a little that little epiphany that to nobody, everybody and or anybody mm-hmm. that didn't stop him from being himself or something right. like that. It, it's yeah, I am I was a little surprised that I hadn't ever read this in any of the literature classes I took in college. Because this seems like people would, you know, have a assignment on this. This isn't, this isn't that, I don't feel, I feel like this isn't that well known. I really, it's, it's not, I don't, it may not be as easy to find as some of his other works. One for, I, it is, I feel like it's so different. I feel like it's so different. Yeah, I don't know if I, well, I'm. Like I said, I'm not very familiar, but I'd, I'd be interested in you knowing so much of his stuff. Had you read it without an author's name, if you would have thought that it was him? Um, Probably not, but I might have thought I would have been like, okay, who was writing around this time? And maybe thinking, but like have him in a pool but not like very high up there as possibility mm. it would like the likelihood would be low yeah yeah I had posted when I was reading this and a friend had recognized it because it was, he said it was his favorite of his. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, I think, I think that because what is very Henry Miller about it (laughs) is the fact that, because it is more poetic than I feel his, his usual prose is. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that he doesn't have his own sense of poetry you know with his work at times but he's not that's not what he's known for but I, I don't know I feel like I feel like what is very Henry Miller about this that if you compared it to other works of his it's just the way he describes a, a character and and life in that specific time and place and how you're very immersed in your surroundings I feel like he kind of he puts you right you know he puts you right there and maybe the language comes out a little differently normally. I, I still feel that that's just, just the way that he... Because it, the story kind of of how this book, story, fable, whatever, <laughs> came to being is that Henry Miller was was kind of sort of commissioned. Like he was talking with an a visual artist about okay i'll write this story and you do do do, you do the illustration and then once it was finished the artist didn't want to be associated with it and then he was also learning more about henry miller's reputation getting a book so the artist i forget who it is he detached you know his name and project and then henry miller initially put in watercolors that he did himself Mm. but the thing is is that Miller had already is kind of already the bohemian Paris crowd that he was surrounding himself with were circus performers you know <laughs> like like the and these writers and these artists and actors musicians this kind of motley crew of just yeah performers of some sort and definitely circus performers were included in that and in the epilogue in this he himself even says that the clown has always had a special place for him you know in I feel that that makes this work 
where it, you know, like I said, it's this is not necessarily his normal subject matter or his his usual style, but it it um sorry. Uh, <laughs> it um I'm trying to figure out the best way to word this. It it's not his usual style, but I don't know. Anyway, I've lost my train of thought. My stomach grumbled. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. No, no. Um, Go ahead. You say what you're going to say. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I just, I keep re-hitting on it. And I, I could, I, I really highlighted this like a crazy person. You know, I was like, oh, that's really cool. I, I, I don't know what it was that just got me really jazzed about this. Uh, I mean, it is good, but I'm a little speaking about it. I'm a little surprised how excited I'm sounding right now, Mm -hmm. but I, I guess it's just the, the me and me that likes to like writers (laughs) and I'm like, okay, cool. This is, this is what you wrote that was for me. And that's always very exciting when you find that in a, in a new person. But well, it's unique. I feel like it's unique. Very much so. And uh, I can imagine how many paintings are inspired by this. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, just. But yeah, as we were speaking about the, the existential stuff, I mean, <laughs> there's there'll just be lines like throngs of memory something descending upon him like a plague of locusts and it just yeah uh pretty stoked about this i i'm feeling like i'm dissing other things that i've read recently but i did mm-hmm. also the last thing i read was that dark money book about how the rich people are gonna kill us all <laughs> so <laughs> this was so this I, was so uplifting and wonderful to you <laughs> for the sub for the subject matter it was surprisingly uplifting. <laughs> okay. Wow. I, I needed a sad clown, I guess, to... Uh... You needed a sad clown to... Because, yeah, this is the story of a sad clown. Yeah. He it... is... It, make no mistake about it. And and really, there is a lot of discussion in here about what laughter does and, you know, and what a clown does for people. Yeah. And it and it's and it's very interesting just to and 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 how it, it it's 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 uh it's sometimes the again, I, I go back to kind of the, just the way it's written with the uh, with the word choice. It does have a, a certain poetic sense. Yeah. Which I which I, I like. Yeah. But I'm it's not... but it's not overwhelming. <laughs> no. Um I think we could probably say that we both I, recommend this. Yes. I I would, though, perhaps give it a conditional recommend just because I know there are certain people who would have no patience for the style. Mm. Yeah. It... <laughs> and, and I, and I, so I would give it a, I give it a, I definitely recommend it, but again, selectively. Yeah, if, if you're if you're not in by the second or third page, you're probably not going to like it. Agreed, agreed. Maybe you hate it, but you're just going to be like, what? Like, wait, yeah. why? Like, <laughs> you know, you just you know you just won't. Yeah, you won't want to go much further. 
so so yeah give it a if <laughs> yeah i'd but, say a uh, couple pages it, and... like i said it definitely has a sense of someone who was drawing heavily and on uh, on the artists like visual artists and poets of that time yeah so and Right. I, I mean, I feel that that was and, and this was still this was written in 59. So I feel that the beats had to have influenced him, whether he says it blatantly or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine them not the intersecting. Beats were also influenced by the surrealists. So, I mean, yeah, you know, which again, I mean, that's why I like the the beats as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't really know too much about uh, Henry Miller's sexuality, but, you know, maybe he and Allen Ginsberg and Neil Gassidy had some fun. You know? And then he wrote his sexy books. I, you'll have to find out. I don't know. Because I know Neil Cassidy, well, they all sort of experimented with uh, fluid sexuality. Well, not a lot of them, but, you know. Right. Like Cassidy, especially <laughs> Cassidy was the. A walking hormone monster in that group. Yeah. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Anywho. Yeah. And Henry Miller, if you're looking for stuff of his that is, yeah, for fucking and fighting <laughs> with other stuff, this is not it, though, here. <laughs> yeah. And that's what surprised me that I had a hard time getting into those other books was, I mean, who doesn't like to read about fucking and fighting? Yeah. So anyway, I think that wraps up our book discussion. So um, let's take a short break. And then when we come back, we will um, have our interview. Be back. Hello, kitties. My name is Brock. And my name is Pickens. And, and we're, we're from, from Cocktail, Cocktail Party Massacre. Massacre. Our podcast is equal parts horror movies, cocktails, and trivia. Each week, guests join us to discuss their favorite horror movies. We make a cocktail inspired by the horror movie they choose. And we challenge them to three deadly rounds of trivia on the movie. If they survive, they win the coveted title of Final Girl. And if they lose, they end up with their eyes gouged out by our very own trivia slap. The best thing is, you get to listen with little to no risk of death. Unless you think you have what it takes to come on our show and win the Final Girl Challenge. Regardless, get your cocktails in gear and join us for Cocktail Party Massacre. Hey, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing I'm doing fine. We finally got cold weather, which everybody complains about, but it's always nice to have a change. And because last week it was still 90 degrees. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, and mom, this is Darren. Yeah. Darren, this is my mother, Dawn. Hi. Darren. Did you say Dawn? Is that D -A -D -A -W -N, what I'm? D A W N, like oh. in the morning. Okay, and that's how you'd like me to refer to you? Well, or you can call me the fool. Because okay. My my clown name is the Dancing Fool. How? And, and uh, I figured we'd introduce you as the Dancing Fool, and then you could reveal if you want to use your real name or not. Your undercover clown name. That is. <laughs> yeah. How, well, however you like. I always start out calling people's moms ma'am and let them tell me what they want me to call them. So. You, you know, that's funny because ever since I moved here, 
different. When people would say ma'am to me, I'd say, I'm not your grandmother. Don't call me something <laughs> you feel old. But I, for years when I was in high school, I was known as Howard's sister because I had two brothers that were in sports. So I lived that way for a long time. And then I became Vanessa's mom. And the first clown name I used was Mac that stood for Mom's a Clown. <laughs> because people would ask her what their mom, what does your mom do? And she said, oh, she's a clown. So, but you can, either way, I'll answer. <laughs> All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, we, I, I, I was going to say, we were, we weren't, I guess we hadn't officially started the interview, but we have, I guess, <laughs> we can include that. That's fine. <laughs> we always start before we get official. That's true. Awesome. Mom, I, I, Mom, I told you we were kind of a loosey-goosey around here. Well, sometimes the most unofficial things turned out to be the best thing. Yeah. So, yes, this is our, uh, I guess, to make this official, <laughs> this is our uh, special uh, interview that we have for our Send in the Clowns episode. This is The Dancing Fool, which I'm sure some people, I've, I've said before that my mother was a clown. I don't know if I said your name, but I told people we were going to have an interview with a, a clown, and I'm guessing people probably, if they had heard that before, guessed that it was going to be with you. So, yes, here you are. <laughs> thank well, you for coming. Well, thank you. I wish I was in New York doing this, but, <laughs> but uh, I'm very happy to be on your show and to learn more about this clown thing, even though I've been doing it about 36 years. Has it been that long already? Yes, it has. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> Well, you know, I always joked that I'd keep on clowning as la long as my legs held out. And they were getting kind of weak, but I got some minor surgery and I'm back on track and looking forward to a new year of clowning. Nice. Well, well, the funny thing is that, so to, I, I may have mentioned this to on the show before, but you still live down in Alabama, but you're going to be moving up here to New York, where I am. And one of my friends, Adam, who who has been on the show before he actually said as a way to partly bribe you to get you to come up here is that there would be more clowning opportunities <laughs> That's right. He, he told me maybe the Big Apple Circus had a part for me, but he said in the office. <laughs> he didn't say in the ring, but I know there'll be more opportunity and there's a lot more fun in New York than there is down south. Well, but you've made quite an interesting, I guess, uh, you've carved an interesting niche down there as a clown. Because I, I wanted to ask you, I, well, what was your origin really of becoming a clown? Well, the first time I ever dressed as a clown was when I was teaching Montessori school where you also attended and right. then a few people saw me and they'd asked me to come over to their house when I went to another job at a different Montessori school we had a festival and I came as a clown and the people I worked with didn't know who I was <laughs> and the owner's husband came up to me to get my name and a few years before that your father had been there dressed as Santa so I said <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm Mrs. Santa. And he didn't hear it right, and he told his wife, Oh, that's Santa. 
Santini the clown. So, <laughs> so, but I didn't use that name. And then go down a few more years when you were going away to Boston to college, you told me to go out and get a life. And I said, <laughs> Because by that, that. Well, yes, you did. by that time I was divorced and uh, you suggested, because I had always made costumes for you, to go down to the local community theater and do costuming, which I did. And the first day <laughs> I volunteered, they put me on stage at a program they were having that night. And I was so bashful. And I mean, one of the other girls started drinking so she could go up there. And we just had a few lines. It was, you know, for their award show. But I started doing the costumes. And then eventually I was on stage in a few parts. Uh, but I met uh, a local radio personality. And he told me, we're going to put together a program on New Year's Eve this called First Night Mobile and he asked me to be on the committee so I agreed even though I was still relatively on the shy side and we didn't have much money that first year so they said does anybody have a talent they can share and I finally trembling raised my hand and said well I could be a clown I've done that before so without being paid that first two years I roamed the streets and I was known as Mac the Clown and then later I changed the costume to be a jester with long full pants and then a few years after that I got puffy pants as we call them which you designed but yeah uh, the more Shakespearean pumpkin pants Shakespearean pumpkin pants and I changed my name from Mac to the dancing fool because after all dancing feet are happy soul and I that also came because I took a lot of ballroom dance classes there then and I incorporated it because first night had musical events people from all the United States we hired and came in and entertained and then we always had the fireworks at midnight so I was known as the ambassador of fun for first night because I could roam all over the city and somehow I don't know how I did it looking back on it because it must have been the makeup because nobody knew who I was nobody could criticize me and if it was somebody I knew I would always change my voice and it became a lot of fun from that it developed into a lot of other uh, contacts and events and I became better known. One of the things, we have a big race here, the Isaiah Trail Run, and they needed entertainment on the course and they put me on the course and um, I would run and I was at one spot and I would run for a block with people. So I can say I ran with Bill Rogers because you know, he was the one, the Boston Marathon when it first started. So that sort of just evolved and uh, into who I am, sort of. <laughs> yeah, and then of course, I mean the fact that Mobile has Mardi Gras definitely helps, and and I and I wanted you to talk about more the type of clown you are because you're not what when when people say when I tell people oh my mother's a clown I know most of them assume like birthday party clown but you're not no I mean, in fact I didn't hardly do any birthday parties initially well one time I worked with a guy and he had me come over for his son's party and they put me on a horse and then the <laughs> kids kids sat in the saddle. Good thing I lived on the West. I knew how to ride a horse a little bit. But they are traditionally types of clowns. Uh, a goose clown is the one you see a lot of that has more flesh-colored face, but they have white around their eyes and the mouth, and they more exaggerated makeup, and they are sometimes called the dum-dum clowns because they'll try to do everything wrong. And then from that, they kind of develop sometimes a character clown from that. The white-faced clown that I am, they're 
called sometimes the straight man, and you might work with an Agu's clown, and they would, you know, you would be the serious one. But the white face were traditionally have more authority and entertain the kings and the queens and always told the king the truth because they were considered more cultured and charming and debonair. So you often work with other clowns in a group. And that's why you might see at the circus or other events when one might be serious, but the other one, the August, might throw the pie in the other one's face. There are also tramp clowns that dress that started because there were a lot of hobos and homeless people and they in the 19th century and they would paint a beard on their face and usually for some reason always had a cigar in their mouth and a Emmett, red nose and right? a red big red nose and so does an august clown Emmett Kelly and also Red Skelton if you've ever heard of him he was Freddie the Freeloader but the mm-hmm. old types were the white face clowns and you know uh well speaking of the tramp clown i did meet somebody who dressed like a bag lady when i was at in milwaukee and she told us of the time she went to a restaurant dressed in costume and they wouldn't let her in because they said we don't let homeless people in the restaurant and (laughs) no amount of convincing would they didn't believe she was a clown so uh that's what a lot of times you and also like you see in the circus you may see one dressed as a police like the Keystone Cops going after people or uh, cowboys or and of course in the rodeo you have the rodeo clowns which serve purpose though they kind of some of them look like they're bullfighting and they'll have these split jeans that you know with maybe suspenders on one side well that's in case the bull gores them they can that comes off quickly and the other ones are usually very athletic and they you'll sometimes see them jump in a barrel and to get away from Mm-hmm. a charging bull so there's that type and their makeup is usually more like an august clown yeah yeah but i always describe you as like a court jester so well I... and, and you're right it is more that white face like that you saw with like even through the commedia del arte whatever exactly. tradition yeah that's exactly right that's one of the uh faces for the white-faced clowns and you're not supposed to have any skin showing you either cover it with clothes that's why i always wore white gloves even on your my hat always i had my hair under my hat so my neck was always bare so i would wear makeup white makeup and then Mm -hmm. i usually had a high fluffy collar on that People thought because I became a court jester was due to Mardi Gras mobile, as they do show up a little bit at Mardi Gras time, but I told them, no, it was just the style that I wanted to be, and each clown is individual, just like their makeup, their faces can be licensed, and you're not supposed to duplicate it. Well, I've put on makeup, sometimes I'm not quite sure I duplicated the original thought of what I wanted my face to especially if you get in a hurry, but... The most part is always the same. And Mardi Gras started here in Mobile in 1703, which is 15 years before New Orleans got it, because Mobile happened to be the capital of Louisiana at that time. And it started that tradition, and later on it was picked up by New Orleans, and it's evolved over the years, and it continued until, like, the Civil War here in Mobile, and then they were not doing Mardi Gras, but it came back, and that's why one of our favorite parades is the Joe Kane parade, because when it came back after the Civil War, the driver of the coal wagon dressed as an Indian with a full bonnet and everything, and he still they still do that parade every year. Traditionally, Mardi Gras 
start on January 6th, which is the 12th day after Christmas, although it can start here in November when we have our debutantes make their appearances because many of the... <laughs> yeah. I know. I've got to laugh. It's just so ridiculous that they still do that. I just... <laughs> well, the they always say that's because their daddy has money and the queen is the best queen that daddy can buy, pay for. So It's true, but... <laughs> well, when you were little and we were here and you first went to see the coronation because your aunt took you, you looked at me and you said, do you think one day I can become a queen? And I said, not unless your father gets rich between now and when you're 18. But, <laughs> exactly. But I don't know whether it's because of being originally from California. Uh, I view things a little bit different because I always say you can take the girl out of California, but you can't take the California out of the girl even though I have been here way, way longer than I ever imagined. That's why I'm due for a change. But I've had a lot of different experiences because one thing has led to another. One of my times I even went to my dad's Navy reunion from World War II, and he arranged with everybody for me to be the entertainment. But he kept it a secret from his friend Pinkins. <laughs> I forgot about this. Because Pinkas was like, oh, I'm the best polka dancer you've ever seen. Well, he didn't tell him that I knew how to do the polka. So we had a program, and I took my makeup, and I came in there and played. They turned on the music, and I grabbed Pinkas' hand, and I got up and danced. And he was like, oh, my God, I didn't. Who are you? Who are you? And so we danced. Well, later on, this was at a hotel. He just, he was talking to me, and we heard music, and he says, come on, let's go see where that's from. We discovered they were having a wedding reception in the ballroom. So we were dancing in the hall, because he could do other things beside polka. Finally, he said, are you game? And I said, yeah, I'm game. So we danced. The doors were open. We danced through the reception and, uh, and out the other door. Well, the people were so surprised, but they came and asked us, join the party <laughs> so you never know when you're going to be called on and you're a spontaneous entertainer whether you realize it or not yeah yeah that's true one thing that I, I wanted you to to talk about is being in the great circus parade because oh. I, I and I went with you did you go other times without me or no, that just was when I was first, with you well the first time we went was in 2000 because I okay. had I talked about being on the corner of during this big race well I later started running so then I would go to these running conventions and at one of them well the one in 2000 i met this re runner but he was also a reporter for the milwaukee central central newspaper and he i don't know somehow he found i was a clown and we talked about that so he invited us up as his guests to see the parade which is always was held in july and in milwaukee milwaukee yes and we went out we went there and saw it and then I applied. Everybody, almost everybody in the parade, they have about 2,500 volunteers. You don't get paid. So all my expenses I paid for. I believe that was the first year you and I, when I performed, we went, and then you went again another time. But I applied for it. You have to send pictures. You have to send a resume. They're very uh, strict on your behavior when you're in the parade. But it started in 1963, and the last one was held in 2009, which which was the last one I did. Right, and I went to that with you. Yes, that's the one you 
went, the last one we went to. But it started because there was a, a man near, named Mr. Fox, and he helped found the Circus World Museum in Baraboo, Wisconsin. The reason they did it there, the Ringling Brothers Circus always made that their winter headquarters, where they had downtime, where they stored everything. You would think they would do it somewhere warm, but in those days, they, they did it there. And he later met a man who was very interested in this in it and he talked to his name was Ben Barkin and he talked to somebody he knew at the show uh, actually excuse me Mr. Fox talked to his friend Bill Barkin Ben Barkin which worked for Slits Beer Company and they first parade they sponsored and that was one of the reason it, it got to be known and it was up in Milwaukee a few times it was in Chicago or held in Baraboo they never advertised on the parade there was no advertising advertisements. It was strictly the old wooden circus wagons, and they would start in Baraboo and put them on flat rail cars, take them over 200 miles through Illinois and Wisconsin, and bring them down into Milwaukee and unload these wagons, where they would have teams of horses, and all the performers would come at their fair, their festival grounds, and you could go there and view everything. They would have a circus, a Wild West show, and then on the last day, on a Sunday. Day you is when you had the great circus parade. The ones that I were in, they had like a pre-parade, and it had antique motor vehicles. No horses, but they didn't want them, like the old fire engines and the ambulances. And sometimes the mummers would come down from Philadelphia. They were in this beginning parade, followed by the main part, the circus parade, where you have hundreds of horses. One of them was a wagon that had 40 teams on it that pulled it. Another would have two to four horses. The big wagons, the tall ones, they would have bands in top of them while you even had street performance. And mixed in between all of the uh, wagons, you would have bands, you would have the clowns. And it was pretty, it's pretty elaborate. It's, it's so, it's such an incredible thing to see. Absolutely. Those, I mean, just the art, I mean, like carving of those wagons, those old circus wagons alone is just beyond impressive to me. Well, they did, they have gold gilding on them, silver, they have calliopes. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting was the ones that had glass that enclosed animals. They even had a snake charmer in one of them. They would have like the lions in them. Because, it was air conditioned too. Yes, they had <laughs> <laughs> like the yeah, I will say the animals were kind of they were they were well kept. Well, they were taken care of quite well. Plus, people would stake out their spot on the route for over a week. They'd tie shoes there, couches, everything. Before the parade started, you would have all the people marking squares on the roads, and what that was was to bet if their road apple was going to land in their square. <laughs> and they they did some little side bets like that. But all the elephants and all the horses always had a man pushing the can, cleaning up after them. So it was always quite clean, and I never worried when I, when I walked or anything that I was going to step in anything. They had no barricades, unlike Mardi Gras, where you have to barricade, otherwise the people just are all in the street. But there, there were no barricades. The kids could sit on the curves. The only thing that I remember was the horses do not like to go over bridges. They can sense they're not firmly on the ground, so on the 
bridge that we had to go over, they had big rubber heavy mats, and they had no horses, no people allowed on that because they were didn't want anything to happen. But you would wait for it to start, and that's how I got to meet a lot of different people. One of the most famous people that started because he appeared on Johnny Carson was Ernest Borgnine, and Johnny had asked him, "Is there a role that you would like to do?" And he said, "I've always wanted to be a clown." So the people that started the parade heard that called him up so he went and was the top clown for like 20 some years the first (laughs) time I was there I met him and his wife who was quite a bit younger sometimes she would ride a horse she'd even ridden a camel before later on she would be in isn't her name Tova Tova yeah I know I I think we ran into them one time we did I he was great though because where we had to assemble was They'd section everybody off. That's why I saw, like, all the antique cars. They were in a lower place where we were. They would move up. Then everything would come in, and then ever so often they'd tell two or three of us to go and uh, get in between the performers, you know. the I, They're all performers, you know, because when you're in a circus, you take a whole different identity, and you can be whoever you want. So we would be sprinkled throughout. We had strict rules, though. We couldn't throw anything. they throw things at Mardi Gras like beads and moon pies toys but there you had to wave and you had to be real exaggerated when you wave big big waves no small Miss America type waves just big high and I carried they did allow me to carry like a baton that I had covered like in a scepter for a court jester so occasionally I would do high kicks with it and and go around and uh, in circles you know or dance funny because there was usually some music throughout the whole parade. They also had parades uh, stands, viewing stands. So some of the clowns weren't able to walk, would go there, and they would make balloon animals, just as they had when they were in the fairgrounds prior to the parade on Sunday. So there, it was a very, I mean, it was truly like Ringling, the greatest show on earth. But I think the Circus Museum and all the people in Milwaukee and Baraboo did a terrific job. And it's maybe if they ever get four funding they'll bring it back but if you're ever up there you can still go and see these wagons in baraboo yeah the museum alone is is worth a trip like if you're in the madison or milwaukee area it's an easy trip to baraboo Mm. it it is and it's a it's beautiful country i've only been there in the summertime but closer to the dells right it is if anybody knows wisconsin (laughs) yes the dells we we saw the dells the first year remember yeah you know, one thing about when you're in a parade like that or an event, uh, like I had a lot of my acts or skits or things when I did First Night Mobile, and I still think, I don't know where all of it came from in my head, but I would see people, and somehow I would always say the funniest thing to them or the right thing, and I would be down there from like 9 o'clock in the morning, and finally about 4.30, I had my costume on. I would go at 5 o'clock and run the last day dash and then run all over the streets and then stay there for fireworks and get home about two or three in the morning it was a long day and i used to say oh the longer i'm up and the tireder i get the funnier i get so <laughs> that's I, how I, I feel about when i work the elections <laughs> except i'm not supposed to be funny there <laughs> Well, it's like a job, you know. You might not like your job, and wherever you go, it's going to be the same circus, just different clowns. So you have to, I don't know. I just, it was, uh, it's all started probably because you told me to go get a life, but 
somehow I found I, mean, I just love that I said I mean it's kind of terrible in a way the way I said it but it was true and look what happened and well, yeah you didn't want me to have the empty nest syndrome but uh right that's that's all that's all I meant <laughs> oh I know I know but I I don't know I could have stated it better <laughs> well you see when I was in high school I was nominated for most bashful that's why it's still remarkable to me because I was very shy I hardly knew people if there was a corner I was in it and because I got that makeup on it gives you freedom and you say something and it's dumb or not funny people say oh it's okay they're a clown you know they don't know what they're doing but you can't just put on clown clothes to be a clown I've had friends that want to be in the floral parade during Mardi Gras with me some of them they look the part but they don't act it they might be funny but you can't always talk you can't talk to people maybe when you're in the parade especially a Mardi Gras one it's very fast moving so by your actions you get your message across there was one girl that was a clown and she was always dressed as a car hop and she'd have a tray and she'd have a shake on it and she'd go up to people and say you want to shake and they go yeah yeah because everybody at Mardi Gras wants something free and she would just stand there and shake <laughs> so there's <laughs> there's things like that and you know another guy would always show pictures he said I got kids you want to see them and he'd show a picture of billy goats or he'd say oh yeah they're my pride and joy so he'd show joy detergent and pride furniture polish but you just have to I don't know if there is a secret other clowns have better ideas probably than I do and I just uh and of course you just reminded me recently of what I said about balloon animals I well I had to I had to laugh because I asked you to do this and you were asked and I just kind of thought about when originally you were just kind of like I guess more of a street entertainer you know right getting the crowd up and about and doing different things and then you started doing like some parties or some different events and then you started doing some face painting well then there was one day that you said to me and I never will never forget this because of the way you worded it it just <laughs> it just cracked me up when you said you just let out this deep sigh and then you said I've decided to whore myself out and make balloon animals <laughs> it was it was I, the funniest thing I don't know I was like I never thought you would ever say it at least that way <laughs> Well, I, I know that entertainers or clowns that make balloon animals, they can find usually a job somewhere. But I always wanted to be more active and move around. And because I learned how to dance many styles, the music festivals and all of that really worked for me, you know, and anytime there was music. But, you know, there you do want to get paid. I started out getting no money like when I did first night, but then I got pretty good and they would pay me. There was more money in the budget. Then when I did face painting at a you know you get some more so I decided to do the, the the balloons but the other side of that is I was always afraid a child would chew a balloon and choke and then I would feel horrible because I had watched parents or grandparents let their kid have the balloon a toddler and then he start chewing on it so what are we gonna do watch him choke to death so I was really you know and I still when I start <laughs> see you're very this is this is why yeah this is why I couldn't watch certain things when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I know. But anyway, I That's got... okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, it, some might say it's, that. No, it's actually very thoughtful. <laughs> well, 
Well, I, I, when I started doing balloons, I had to tell adults. They would stand there and watch the kid, and I said, I take it away from them. There was one particular festival they had that started, and it had it had a lot of music, but it also had a lot of alcohol involved. And there was, <laughs> there was a children's area, and so the parents wouldn't watch oh, the kids. God. What? Oh, I'm just imagining. So they'd push the kids into the kids' area because they thought we were babysitting them. And exactly. <laughs> So I, I, I really, I really then wouldn't do, do any uh, balloons. I would do a few, but for older kids, that's why I always had trinkets and stickers, and we had some music there. So I'd get the kids up to dance and do everything. Then finally, their parents, some of who were quite in, intoxicated, would say, "Oh, where's my kid?" And I'm going like, "You didn't hire me to babysit, but you have to." So I, that one I did for like three years, but then it kept bothering me so much that people had no regard for their own children if they weren't aren't going to be apart and have the kids with them, leave them at home, you know? Right. So, so I guess the teacher and the mom kind of came out in me because I would do things like that. But um, so another <laughs> little side note about being a mom, and we've talked about uh, sometimes about how people are fearful of clowns. When you were young, about three years yeah, old. Because I wanted to ask you, uh-huh. what is your theory about why people are afraid of clowns? Not all you know not everybody's afraid of clowns but some people are and i have a theory but i want to hear i want to hear your theory go ahead it's because they see an unfamiliar face or a costume or something that happened to them when they were a child for instance if you think (laughs) about it a baby oh let's get santa's picture with the baby and the kids never seen anybody with a beard and if you're not that kind of beard right or if you go to the mall of course now men wear more beards than they used to but if you go to the mall and watch them take pictures you always see a crying child and that's pretty much due to they they're afraid of them so it's it's unfamiliar um people and or they might say well his body looks like grandpa but not his face or you know is that my mom and i did have uh particularly teenagers come up to me and they wanted me to go talk to their friend well when they did that i always knew their friend was a friend of clowns so I would never run up to any of them sometimes I, I would you most of the time I would say yes I'll go but I would never run up to them and you know jump in their face a lot of times I would just go to them and put my back against their back so they couldn't see me and talk to them and I'd go are you afraid of your grandmother and they'd go no I said are you afraid of your mother no I said well I'm somebody's mother I'm not somebody's grandmother but I'm somebody's mother and I would never hurt you and I've never you know scare you but do you know why you're afraid of clowns a lot of the people said because of it (laughs) (laughs) of course (laughs) or poltergeist those are the two big ones well even the joker from batman used to be in comics and then it became came to movies he was he was sinister so they would always think that oh they're horrible and uh, uh, sometimes because they would have a mask on it enabled them to do things that others wouldn't do so like go to a party you know or crash a wedding reception in costume <laughs> but they're in, they're, you're interacting with them and it's the unknown to them you can see them and you feel safe you're not threatened by their look but they're threatened by yours and so i think that the fear of clowns is called 
acolophobia, and it's like not knowing who's behind uh, the excessive makeup, the red nose, and the hair color, because many clowns, particularly Auguste, are exaggerated. With yeah. my, with mine, I don't wear a big nose. I paint a heart on the top of my nose. I, you can pretty well see my features because I'm covered with white grease paint, you know. And then I have, I have red lips, and I use, I don't have red cheeks, but I have some blue on my face in the shape of a curvy line. But the Auguste or Tramp, that clown in the movie Shakes the Clown that was a woman dressed right. as a woman, that was more like rodeo clowns. Plus here in Mobile during Mardi Gras, we have a group called the Comic Cowboys and their queen called Little Eva looks just almost identical, except Little Eva has a plunger for her scepter. So here <laughs> there's probably less people that are really fearful. It can also stem from Halloween with different costumes. For instance, when I started to say when you were about three, <laughs> the mall was having a costume contest for children. And I spent a lot of time making a really cute pixie or Robin Hood type of costume. You actually It was like a Tinkerbell Tinkerbell. You had green and you had a Robin Hood type hat. You were all green. You had a dyed tights green, you know, a skirt and your top and everything was green. So we go to the mall and I was sure you could win. And you walked in there and the first thing you saw was a gorilla, a man in a gorilla suit. And you started running out of there. (laughs) And I said, You're not going anywhere and you told me you were afraid I said that's just a man he put on a funny costume different than yours and I said listen I spent a lot of time on this <laughs> and there's prize money involved so if you are very good and you patient and you I'll stay with you I will take you and buy a, any book you want at the bookstore <laughs> Because you, you would love that. You you love books more than you love eating sometimes. And <laughs> so you stuck around and you won first and you got $100. So it, and now you're not afraid of gorillas. And in fact, that afternoon after all that was over, you actually went up to see the gorilla close up and realized that there was a person in it. But I think that people sometimes harm their children because they force them to do something like, well, and I wasn't forcing you to stay with the gorilla. But, you know, of course, you can take your own opinion on that. But (laughs) (laughs) bribery is not forcing. Bribery is bribery. Bribery. Well, she. Well, and it was a book, at least. It wasn't like candy. I know. Well, he was running around the mall, but there are people that insist that their kids, you know, or take them to horror movies when they're too young to understand uh, fantasy or, you know, science fiction and horror. And it's, so it's better to give a child a calmer. Kind of like dad taking me to see Alien at six in the theater or showing me Psycho before that. <laughs> I know. Well, that's why you have that laugh you just developed. <laughs> um. But I love those movies now. See, that's what happened in, in that case. But that doesn't happen every child. <laughs> Sometimes it can go horribly wrong. <laughs> right. Well, I think you were reassured because your father was with you. And I think it's how we present to people. Uh, it's just like when I was in high school, there was no way I would get up and do a speech. Well, look what I'm doing now. But then also when I haven't been in costume, I got did a lot of public things where at big race I'm talking about, I later became the race director and I had to speak on TV 
Of course, that's being on TV also started with first night because they would have me come in costume. You haven't lived. You have to get your costume on at 4 a.m. in the morning and be at the studio at 5. But I got over some of that and it, it made it easier. But now that I've I've noticed that now that I haven't done as many clowning gigs this year, I'm getting, it makes me feel nervous when I do do it. But I think when you have makeup on and you become another person, you feel freer and not inhibited because like I said you can say different things and not all not bad derogatory things but you can say <laughs> funny things and people really think you're funny um, so for me it was therapy and that's why they have you know Patch Adams that movie and entertainer even the Harlem Globetrotters that portray clowns and there's a baseball team that are clowns so you have to but still 12% of the adult population is still afraid of clowns and my got into a clowning group we went to the children's hospital we had nurses there that were supposed to be brave for children facing cancer and there was two of them that always hid in the lounge till we left they were horrified and they wouldn't even try to get over it and I think if I was a nurse and I was trying to help kids get through the fear of being treated that I would have just manned up and fly over but you don't know what happened to them in their childhood so we didn't we never forced the issue it always but, seemed weird oh sorry go ahead it always seemed weird to me growing up when people were afraid of clowns because the I, actually the only two other clowns that I've ever knowingly spent any time with were my next door neighbors <laughs> when I was little and they were wonderful they were Greg and Natalie they funny that you should mention Montessori they were also Montessori teachers <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, they yeah they were awesome. They taught me how to walk on stilts, and I used to be able to juggle a lot better than I can now. And they were just really fun people. So when people would be scared of clowns, it just I was like, well, I guess you guys didn't have Greg and Natalie as ma- as neighbors. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it's the Montessori uh, training method, you know, because we prepare that we would prepare for life, not just to get through school. And you <laughs> encounter different things like practical life activities. You learn how to cook and clean vegetables and polish silver. And it, it was a different type of education, and it really worked well for Vanessa. It was the best job that I ever had as being a Montessori teacher. And also, when I got more at ease with costumes, when we would do... Uh, different countries, I would come as some character and I would cook food. I'm not a great cook. <laughs> I would never practice the recipe before I went. And one time we did <laughs> the American West and so I came in in chaps and a mustache and cowboy hat and I did flapjack. Never in my life did I think that I could put a pancake in it and cook it on a hot hot plate and flip it up in the air and catch it with a skillet. And I did it. You know? <laughs> and then we did Indian things and I came with a head dress so it sort of started in school like but a lot of it is just I had to get over being afraid and get some self-confidence and I think in my case my daughter Vanessa help with that self-confidence and doing the clowning and I just became something I never ever in my wildest dreams thought I would ever do with in my life and so I've, I've been blessed that way and I do enjoy the clowns and I do enjoy still going to the circus it's a shame that some of those are not going to continue but um, I always have those memories you know as they say may all your days be circus days so that's the best way to look with life and and, and laughter is true Truly the best medicine and take less muscles to smile and frown. So it's, there's a win-win there. Yeah. I wanted to ask you one more thing. So we're covering in this episode, Shakes the Clown. 
<laughs> now, I gave this and I gave this movie to you. I said you have to watch it, and I wanted to hear what you had to say from a clown point of view. I know what you you after you saw it, you texted me and told me that you were laughing so hard that you had to stop because you thought you were going to pee your pants. But <laughs> <laughs> that was after the first thirty minutes, the first time I watched it, yes, yes, yeah. But uh, no, what what do you have to say from a clown perspective? Uh, just thought. well, humor you have to have the ability to laugh at yourself but if I was truly really super serious I'd say that gives clowning a bad name but I think that it was entertaining and that's what clowns do is entertain people and because life is too short to be sad but like I said when I watched it this past week again for like the fourth time that rodeo the rodeo clowns were in there I'd seen rodeos before with clowning uh, the, I mentioned the Mardi Gras thing with little Eva and that was the clown that stayed with shakes a lot yeah Robin Williams as the mime teacher yeah he <laughs> He, he he had done that on TV on other things that weren't related to the movie, but he truly was gifted and shows you don't have to speak. But mimes are, it is really hard to do an action and try not to talk. A couple times I, I tried that when I would go to the children's hospital, I would dress as a mime, but I didn't feel, I fell out of place probably because I hadn't practiced enough. I just thought it was a hilarious movie. And like they say, you know, um, I have a quote somewhere written here. Let me look while I'm talking to you. But uh, as, as Shake said, our clown is a difference between a party and a really nice party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Cheese. Mr. Cheese, yeah, that's the, that's the difference, you know. I never had an agent. A lot of people would get an agent, and that would get you more gigs. Uh, I did hundreds of volunteer uh, events without getting paid. I always used to think, oh, if I get paid, it won't be as much fun. It is nice to have some money to come in, when you're, especially when you, you have to buy the makeup and everything else that you need. I was trying to think of what his uh, some politician said, that something about relating Congress to a bunch of clowns, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's so so much of that, and you have to be able, a lot of people don't laugh at themselves, that's for sure. True, true. Yeah, I know, you had talked about, like, the the whole rivalry between the different kinds of clowns and everything, and I, I, that's the one that, like, that's the one thing that just cracks me up about that movie because I know just even from and Darren and I will talk about that more separately when we specifically talk about the movie but I just know even I saw some of that when we went to the great circus parade and like some of those type things you know, uh, that there is a rivalry there is and because when I went up there I was the only gesture I was totally different than anyone else they all had more of the red white and blue they were more august I was the only one and you know I guess because of Wisconsin I wore the Packer colors I had <laughs> gold lame pants and a green velvet top Mostly that was a Christmas parade uh, outfit that I had, but it still, I stood out. So when I came around in this parade, it was unbelievable to hear that kind of applause and be recognized. But there were clowns that didn't want to talk to me, and I saw that. And even in Mobile, some of the events, we have a clown that has been here for years but has a foreign accent, and one of our, our hobo clowns 
got in a big fight with her at one of the events so because he didn't like the way she did her balloons and talked to children. He says, nobody can even understand what you're talking about. So, it, so there is some of that amongst people. Well, that's the same thing with actors and comedians. Everybody always wants to be something else. Um, right. You recognize that way. But Frank Zappa, at least, when he made that song in 1979 called Dance and Fool, I even got to use that one time in a ballroom dance routine and while I was in costume. So it carries over. And I think, <laughs> I think, well, you're laughing now, but. I know, I love it. That's part of why I love you, why you're awesome. Well, thank you. I love you too. I, I just, um, I enjoy doing it and I love it when people smile and, and are happy. There's too much sadness in the world. And I think that every day the newspaper ought to lead with a happy story and bury all the bad stuff in the back page, but it won't. But you just have to, if you laugh at yourself what are you going to laugh at you know i've made lots of mistakes and you learn from them you grow from them and you move on with it and don't get stuck in the past yeah part, you know? yeah but shakes was a good movie i mean really it was uh it was pretty cool <laughs> i enjoyed it and i still enjoy it i just now that i'm like you i'm picking out little things that i see you know that things that they had in there mm -hmm. like they were driving and there was k lard like the radio say l-a-r-d and yeah something something had circus 98 and you know there's little <laughs> things that you you notice and of course they, always, they said in there that the moms were uh artists they were artistic you know yeah <laughs> but there is the art of clowning as well general clowning and so forth but right uh, right true one thing I, I'd okay. like to ask you while, while we have you, if I could, if, if sure. you had, I'd often heard a rumor that pointy makeup is, I don't know, frowned upon or not generally used. I had heard that in a critique about the John Wayne Gacy outfit that he did. And I noticed that Binky, the ultimate villain of Shakes the Clown, had very pointy makeup. <laughs> is there any, is that just something people say or is that an actual thing? Well, I hadn't heard that too often. I thought in Binky's case, his nose was that way. Of course, TV, I mean, makeup, the way of the professionals, they could have made it look pointy. But some ways, when you think about it, uh, was it the Grandpa Munster? Didn't he have a pointy nose, too, like that? Yeah, and they exaggerated his Exaggerated, feet. because if sometimes they take your worst feature and make it the most predominant. That's why a lot of times uh, big noses anyway, and then you put a red one on it, makes it even bigger and it can be you remember that more so if you were so if you saw Binky in a lineup you'd say without his makeup you could probably identify him by his nose if that was truly his nose but I think they traditionally have certain features like I say to Auguste but in my case well I didn't have excessive except I was all white and I didn't go with the normal court jester hat which is three points I only had two which had bells on them and then I had turned up toes on my shoes and they would remember the kids loved that for some reason because they because I'd walk try to walk on my toes like a ballerina but I had those pointy shoes so on the makeup it could be that was to to bring forth a point that he was the bad guy and uh he had not that much white on his face either it was very light um yeah features so um well, thanks. as long as you're not afraid of clowns darren that's okay <laughs> i totally am not I, I imagine it maybe scared me at some point when i was a kid but it's not really a clown anyway people 
I yeah, know. exactly. <laughs> well, I, I told Vanessa that I was in this one parade and they had a Navy ship in Mobile and these guys, these sailors got me to come over. I said, why? Is there a friend over there that's afraid of me? And he said, yeah. So there again, I went back to back with Ayler and I, I started talking to him and then finally I said, look, you signed up to defend your country. And I said, and I'm part of that country. So you better man up and stop being afraid of people like me because I'm really <laughs> your mother in disguise. And then he turned around. His captain was over there. And when he turned around and he hugged me, then the captain was like all smiles, like, oh, okay. <laughs> but that doesn't always happen because it was probably something. He was a child. And, but anyway, it's it's a, been a great thing for me to do with my life. And I hope to keep on continuing to bring smiles to everybody. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, for anybody else, I have physically spoken with three clowns in my life and 100% of them are awesome. I've been around many others and I have not been dragged into the sewers just yet. Well, <laughs> well, that's good to know. That's good to know. You know, even up in when we had the circus parade, we went to the rodeo uh, circus and Annie Oakley and all of Wild West shooters years ago, Wild Bill Cody, they kind of put on a circus too, but they weren't, they were just cowboys and so forth. Right, so, uh, right, exactly. They had them as like the main performer like instead of acrobat right they had them as the main performers and the word circus in is latin for a circle so everything was the wagons would form and and then there's and the big top was always a, a, you know round and there was a spot in the back where it always was kind of dark where the performers would wait so it got nicknamed an alley so that's why you hear about the clown alley that's where they would often put on their makeup and prepare to go out and form but um there's a lot of history wikipedia can fill in a lot of things about the circus parade and Mardi Gras and probably even shakes the clown. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be talking more about that. So, Like you say, humor, don't leave home without it. So. Exactly. And life is short, laugh hard. Some of my favorite sayings. Right on. Well, thank you very much for, for the interview and your well, time. <laughs> Thank you for including me and feel free to clip, clip, clip and cut me out if you need to. <laughs> That's what I tell her at the end of every recording too. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. she, she's in charge. Well, when it comes to me, she might start clipping a lot then. But it's been, it's been fun and I could talk forever on this, but there's not that forever right now. So remember okay. to have uh, your days, may all your days be circus days and I'll see you all soon. Oh my God, did I just say y'all? You never say y'all i ran it together i'll see you and all of you i refuse to try to be southern i can't be southern i'm not going to tote anybody anywhere and kind of thing how many books do you have to get her to get her to cut that out (laughs) a lot (laughs) i'm still sending them all right have a good afternoon you too it was nice talking to you you too bye-bye bye You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension of not only film and sound, but mind. A journey into an auditory movie review adventure that must be experienced to be believed. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Doomsday Clock. You can extract the Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock podcast by either searching for WYCH on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Which versus the Doomsday Clock 
is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. So prepare yourself. The podcast ice is going to break. And we are back. That was a wonderful interview. And we are back to talk about 1991's Shakes the Clown, as Vanessa had said, written, directed, and starring Bobcat Goldthwait. This is a movie that I, it was one of, for me, this was one of those movies that I found on a tape in my dad's shelf when I was maybe 13. And anyway, Vanessa. Well, before we get into the movie, I I do want to say after our interview with the dancing fool, Mm -hmm. she texted me and said, oh my God, I forgot to tell you. (laughs) And then she, (laughs) so something she wanted me to relay, she said that you'd be surprised at the number of times she has guys, like when she's dressed up like a clown, where she has guys hitting on her. (laughs) See, that was, that would have been a second conversation question for me to ask her I've, i had thought of that she, i had wondered that she said that yeah like they'll come up and like because especially because she incorporates dancing into different things mm-hmm. a lot of them will come up and, and ask her and whatever and to dance and all these different things or they'll say different stuff to her and but they won't like be saying it to these other entertainers or whatever it's hmm. kind of interesting i mean she does have nice looking legs but <laughs> and <laughs> younger youthful and, and beautiful but uh um, it's just, uh, it's still, um, it's kind of funny. <laughs> but she's like, I think it happens more. She's like, and it happens more when I'm not, when I'm wearing the clown makeup than like when I'm not. <laughs> hey. So it, I, something about people, like, I guess their inhibitions are just totally down when they talk to a clown or some, something like that. Not just the performer being like, she was saying that she's more shy unless you know has her makeup on, but. Like as a performer saying that, but obviously this seems like the audience is less shy when they're interacting with someone who has has makeup. I don't know, maybe. Or just, uh, yeah, or just some pervy guys. I don't know. But I just thought that was interesting. I thought I'd share that. <laughs> Especially because of how our movie Shakes the Clown opens up. Um <laughs> Yeah, with Florence Henderson, right? That was her, wasn't it? Yes, yes. <sighs> You're my first clown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were along oh the same lines of thought of how that was going to segue into the movie. I know, I know, but I, th- I couldn't, that's why I, when she told me that, I was like, Oh my goodness, that that is too funny. And the fact that this kind of, yeah, you're kind of seeing it in this movie. I guess I'll give just a brief description of Shakes the Clown. It's a 1991 movie, and it's about Shakes the Clown, who's a birthday party clown, who's also an alcoholic, and he's just fucking up at his job, and he gets uh, fucking up in his relationship, and he gets a murder pinned on him (laughs) by a rival clown (laughs) who is a children's show host, and then there are rodeo clowns, and there too it's like and 
and there's a clown bar. It's crazy. Yeah, the twisted balloon. Twisted balloon. What else and are you gonna call a clown bar? I know, but it was it was the first movie that Bobcat Goldthwait wrote and directed. And I mean, he's gone on and done a lot of other things since this, but not. I mean, not just actually still you know acting himself, mm -hmm. but you know, and he plays the lead here. He plays Shake, but um, it, it's still interesting to see that this is where he started and you know this is I feel like showed a lot of promise and you know definitely a dark side of a comic that and the fact of we're still seeing a dark side of clowns this sad clown that we were talking about with the book you know yeah I guess some more of the cast. You've got Julie Brown in here <laughs> as Judy, Shake's girlfriend, who, oh my goodness, I love her so much. She's <laughs> priceless. She's supposed I've to be a professional bowler. <laughs> always loved her even in a small small role she's fantastic <laughs> oh, and they yeah, have it sort of reminded me of got adelaide and nathan detroit and guys and dolls right right yeah sorry yeah yeah no and she plays it like so that she has this kind of lisp type thing going on <laughs> Which is really funny when I'll, I'll come to something with that later. And um, but you've got you, these different people like Robin Williams has a cameo as a, a mime instructor. <laughs> and you've got Kathy Griffin, young Kathy Griffin playing Julie Brown's whatever best friend. Florence Henderson is like some sort of middle aged sex maniac sleeping with Shakes the Clown. <laughs> yeah. Tom Tom Kenny, oh, Bobcat's yeah. best friend from childhood, Tom Kenny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have a young Adam Sandler. Yeah. And um, Dink. He was Dink. But yeah, that was his name. His Dink, yeah. Well, and LaWanda Page, can we say just how much, how just awesome LaWanda Page is? Is that the, the lady the, yeah. at the bar? <laughs> at the bar? I, she was uh, from, you might know her better from Sanford and son she was aunt esther on there that's right she's popped up in a bunch of other things over the years and i actually worked on a really i can't even call it a b grade movie it was so bad but years and years ago when i lived in alabama i worked on this movie with her and she was a fantastic and told the maze filthy <laughs> dirty jokes <laughs> on a regular basis and had everybody in stitches yeah oh, I, I and wondered. Phyllis, and Phyllis Diller also was on the set. And Phyllis Diller, I mean, like, she's very funny, too, but she's very kept very much to herself. Meanwhile, there's LaWanda Page just like, blah, 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 just going on and on, just hysterical. And she has that whole joke in here about she spreads like peanut butter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brown, smooth, and easy to spread. I remember her from, she was in Friday and like, don't be a menace mm -hmm. to South Central Wall. Something juice in the hood. Yeah, she's, well, and she's, she's been in so many different things over the years. But I think like her most famous role is Aunt Esther from Sanford and Son. Mm -hmm. Even though she's done, yeah, a million and one things. I think she was in, she was in Harlem Nights. Mm. I believe, um, Eddie Murphy movie. Yes. Yeah. I don't, 
I don't know if I've ever seen it. Anyway, but no, so you've got her, like, so she's like old school comedy in here. And like I said, at this point, this was when Adam Sandler and Kathy Griffin, like this was earlier in their careers. Like, so you had this newer school, like comedians in there. And then you had these other character actors thrown in there. And then you had like, okay, can we talk about David Crosby <laughs> as the rodeo oh. clown? <laughs> <all poked> up. <laughs> Don't call me a pisshead or, or easy up, pisshead. What was his <laughs> name? play their harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> I love Lady of Spain, Spain. But that ain't Lady of Spain, <laughs> is it, Ty? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like, where does that come from? You're just like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's like he got all his friends together. And he said, okay, we're going to tell a story about all the people we hang out with as young comedians, but we're going to do it as clowns. Right. <laughs> I mean, that might have been real coke that uh, Binky, Tom Kenny. I, well, that whole, <laughs> that, that was kind of a crazy, yeah. Yeah, you know, this yeah. is. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, I, I just go back to Julie Brown. She's one of those actresses that I've always loved, no matter what she's in. And because she's just so kind of quirky, that's the best way to describe her. And I mean that in a really good way, because sometimes it's totally stupid. But sometimes it's really smart. And each time they're still enjoyable. She, you know, and she knows she's very conscious of roles that are very spit. But she's mm. still like, you know what? I'm having fun with it. And so she, you can tell she enjoys performing. Who was she in Clueless? I'm trying to remember. She was the uh, gym teacher. Oh, um, Mrs. Stouffer or no? Something like it's that. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. Yeah. But I remembered, I thought, I thought that she was in that. And was she in Earth Girls or Easy? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And who can forget her song, The Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun? Her hit song, it was at the 80, 80 something. I don't remember. I don't remember. I, I, I just remember at, at first I had trouble keeping her separated in my mind from downtown Julie Brown. Because, mm. yeah, I mean, depending on when this movie came out, I was probably about 10 ish. So, yeah. And I didn't get MTV. Well, she wasn't on MTV, but it was like a lot of stuff I had heard about i had heard about other movies that she was in and i'd heard about downtown julie brown and it got all mixed up in the right yeah that's very unimportant to this story <laughs> that's okay <laughs> That's quite all right. <laughs> Anywho. And then Bobcat Goldwaite. No, I, I think that I don't, I, I think that he fit this well without it making it, I don't know, without seeming, Zora gets situated. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cat issues. Um, no, I, I think without making it seem over indulgent mm -hmm. i feel like it was enough of a balance yeah it definitely doesn't glorify if it is a metaphor for the life of a comedian it doesn't make mm -hmm. it look awesome <laughs> no no and and the thing is is that that is exactly it it is a metaphor for because some of the same principles apply of look and it goes to the fact of how many and the you see these clowns here. Yes, Shakes is an alcoholic. Well, how many of these people who are clowns or who are stand-up comedians have some sort of addiction issue? Yeah, or depression. Don't they have some sort of <laughs> 
I was just going to say, they have some sort of depression demon like that, that they just can't satisfy and they end or they end up killing themselves and dying early. Yeah. I mean, Robin Williams. Robin Williams <laughs> I mean, I was going to say he and Bobcat were been friends for many years, even before this. And yeah, I mean, it's it was an issue, had always been an issue with Robin Williams. That's part of why he got addicted to cocaine, whatever point. Yeah, yeah. the post more or during he, I mean, he did it a lot. He talked about it a lot in his comedy after Mork and Mindy, I feel like. Right. Yeah. This is <laughs> this is we've pre- gone on we've gone on I feel like we've gone on a tangent, but not really because both this book and this movie share this idea of this person who's supposed to be there to make to perform for you, to make you laugh. At you as a collective you. Yeah. And they always have to be on and they always have to have some sort of, some sort of persona. And they can't necessarily be themselves 100% of the time. Or even they can't really let their guard down that much. They have to be very guarded. Yeah. And, you know, like, (laughs) which will cause relationship issues like uh, Shakes Shakes has with Judy and different form. Yeah, different forms of just, I mean, he saw, hopefully you've seen this movie. I don't know if you, spoiler alert and cut this out if you don't like, but, you know, he saw his dad crushed to death by an elephant when he was a child. It's right. It it talks about different kinds of traumas that lead to that sort of performer. And, you know, from the, (laughs) when he has the confrontation with the dad, when he shows Mm -hmm. up at the party and that's a sort of anger, then it looks at, he just looks with such loathing for a second. And then he flips the fucking switch. Witch, and he shakes the clown and then he has to go well at this point he has to go and drink it off right yeah um, yeah and was that was the guy that played the dad at the first birthday party was that his friend from police academy was the, that looked like the uh, sweet chuck guy that he's roommates with in the first or second police academy whichever i, I don't, don't anyway i don't know maybe i don't really remember police academy hmm. i've tried to block that movie out of my mind <laughs> But I will say what is one thing that I just cracked me up so much. Okay. One thing about the first time I saw this movie and I had had a friend who had seen it before me and he said that I worked with in theater. And so we were talking about, you know, performers and that kind of thing. And it's like, you know, granted what we do is different, you know, being different side of theater, whatever. It's different, but you see a lot of the same kind of this issue of like these people who have to, yeah, flip that switch and go on stage and perform before, you know, whatever an audience of a you know little shitty kids <laughs> or, or you know a theater full of adults whatever <laughs> whatever it may be what um so it's just we were talking about it and he said that okay the point that he just kind of started tickling him and every time every time i've seen it since then and i think i've told you about this beforehand every time i've seen this movie since then i just can't the fact that it amused him so much amused me even more but there's something about 
so I, there's a specific scene he says that just tickles him so much and it, it therefore like i said then tickles me because it tickles someone else it's where judy played by uh julie brown is standing there and someone in the the clown bar slash isn't isn't it also a bowling alley i don't know if it's a bowling alley but she is oh, a bowler yeah i know she's a bowler but it looks like it's partly that too anyway in the in the clown bar slash restaurant because it's a bench in there yeah there's pizza and stuff yeah she's serving food anyway so she's taking some, some clowns order and they ask what a corn dog is and she gives the exp she gives this explanation and it's just so basic and simple but the way because julie brown has chosen to play this character with this lisp this weird lisp and whatever accent it comes across as the most hysterical thing where it's like in her in the way she pauses and she's like, well, a corn dog, it's kind of like a hot dog on a stick and um, they wrap it in a batter. I mean, this because like, <laughs> it's not quite it's not quite Valley Girl, but with the pauses in there, it's this weird and she's trying to think of how to explain what a corn dog is like it's stupid but I don't know with the with the little like I said accent and the kind of lisp that she does it does make it funny and there are certain scenes where there are certain lines that she says that come across just even more hysterical I think partly because of that and one scene is another scene is where she's getting into a fight with shakes and she wants she's walking away at night and wants him to leave her alone and he won't and they've knocked into a milk van mm-hmm. and all and so and shakes has been knocked down on the ground well the the that's been driving the milk truck dr- milk delivery truck runs out to make sure shakes is okay because he hit him with the van then he realizes he is okay and he pushes him back down on the ground <laughs> which is funny enough and then here you have julie brown running going walking you know down the street and he's like shakes is going after her and you have the milkman saying ma'am <laughs> half and half <laughs> ma'am do you need any assistance and he's offering her half and half you're aware and it and then she's like and it's you know, she's perceiving it completely as he's cat calling her which is he or is he not i don't know it's unclear but it's uh, uh, go ahead maybe, but... a little bit of both maybe <laughs> hey madonna but... where are you going yeah. I, th- I think it starts out with a cat call and that makes anything he says, even if yeah. it is offering her dairy products, have yeah. a bit of lewdness to it. He's offering her something nice, but he starts it off with his way. But anyway, and so and she, the way she kind of looks over her shoulder and says, leave me alone, milkman scum. <laughs> milkman scum. <laughs> milkman scum. <laughs> and it's just the most hysterical thing. That's That cracked me up this weekend when I was when I was re-watching the movie. I don't know why it hadn't tickled me so much before. But it, like I said, she just has these moments of phrasing in general. And then with that little accent lisping that she does, it, it just makes it so much funnier. It, and it's subtle It's it, because it's not over the top. It could be, but it's not quite over the top. Mm. 
it's just toned back enough and it makes up for the other ridiculousness that's going on in the movie and i appreciate that you know yeah like the i mean shake like bouncing around like daffy ducks uh, pants on fire you know <laughs> <laughs> no yeah no, like I when he does a clown routine yeah but, but go ahead well i was just gonna say one of the things about this it's it could be almost i mean just in the stripped down set like a detective or a noir movie except for it's 1991 and it's clowns because like well, a guy that runs exactly around it. huh that's exactly it and i was i was going to bring that up because it has this other weird side to it that you're like wait what huh <laughs> yeah you know like the hard drinking guy that sort of hasn't settled down with the love of his life wakes up and then he ends up framed for a crime he didn't commit and <laughs> that well, and, <laughs> and the fact of the detectives one of them has a, a fedora that is so 1940s 1950s style <laughs> noir yeah. i was like oh god i love it there, yeah there's the partner cops that are always you know arguing the, but then they're like the mismatched pair yep. lunch break <laughs> <laughs> They're the mismatched pair. <laughs> yeah, but they're fucking playing Candyland. And they're, I you know. know. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get all the way to the goddamn gumdrop forest? <laughs> <laughs> I know that I'm just kind of like what <laughs> when you realize they're talking about Candyland and that's what they're playing and they're you know they're supposed to be undercover surveillance <laughs> <laughs> you're like this is ridiculous actually no it's just redonkulous yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's the different factions like we talked about with the sort of, you know, how comedians or clowns will group off. I wonder what the comedian equivalent of the mime is in this story. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Do you think it's prop comics? I know some... I was just going to say that. I was just... <laughs> oh, God. Let's go be... Yes, it's got to be. Everybody wants to beat up Carrot Top. <laughs> yeah, and that's why he's right? fucking jacked. He... <laughs> he's like... <laughs> So, did, you, I, did I tell you he's from the Mobile area where I grew up? Uh-uh. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. He's from that area. And I lived around there when he was starting to become something. Yeah. When he was a less accomplished prop comic? <laughs> yeah. When he was just starting out and before all the scary. I, it was, he just had natural scary at the time. <laughs> I'm surprised. I, I would think that he'd have to be more buff as an aspiring prop comic than an established one with a Las oh. Vegas show. <laughs> oh, no. He was not not oh no he was not no <laughs> uh, but yeah. um so, yeah so I, we... <laughs> that's what's so interesting about shakes the clown where you do have this glimpse into the clown bar and it's the usual hangout and you have the kinds of clowns that group off and not just cliques of friends but just types of clowns as well mm -hmm. and I, like i don't know my mom talked about it a little bit but it, the, it's just the fact of there really is definitely much more i mean even when she would go regularly to children's hospital and there was like their one guy that was like more hobo kind of clown and he always just was off by himself and it was and then when you were at the circus the great circus parade you kind of saw like okay that type of clown was like much more off by themselves mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so it, and and then 
then like the birthday party clowns definitely kind of okay cling more together and then it just it's my mom I know like like I said she's kind of in an oddball category because <laughs> she's not quite you know not quite traditionally one type but mm. you know you make it your own yeah and shake in all of his drunkenness he and all of where he's rolling out of some bed <laughs> that he barely woke up from and it, it's just he somehow does these different what i find unreal well i don't know if you're in that mode i guess and you're just functioning every day you can just sober yourself up enough to function to okay i gotta get through this thing oh like and walking so, on your hands and juggling yeah. bowling pins the switch and... <laughs> just, yeah flip the switch and oops I make the make the clown magic happen. Yeah, or it, not, <laughs> I, or not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, other than him being late, it seems yeah. like, no, notoriously late or habitually late. He starts out as a relatively high functioning alcoholic. Right. You know, he it's he seems to be drunk all the time, and you know yeah. his friends drink at night. Yeah, and I think that was another thing that when he. Um, <laughs> When he's going through withdrawal, they they pretty much left the left the light on that, you know. Yeah. It's um I forget where okay, so I think the last part of the movie that we were talking about was when Judy was pissed and, yeah, and the milkman scum part. And yeah. the, the arguing cops <laughs> and You milkman scum. <laughs> yeah. She's just a spunky character. Like yeah. she's just an awesome character and that's why it comes across it doesn't when she does her little whatever accent and the fake list it doesn't come across as buffoonish because mm-hmm. she's still a strong female character <laughs> yeah yeah she and uh... and this does pass the becknell test by the way yeah well because she and her friend um talk about the cooking school thing mm, yeah. for her, that her friend's going to for... <laughs> it's about their careers it's their discussion they have the career about you know judy bowling yep and working her way up through that and mm-hmm. nice just fyi i just realized that <laughs> no, i mean there's a lot more to this movie about you know the one sentence thing is a dark comedy about clowns right <laughs> there's and, the, and yeah. the thing is is that you you see the shakes character and he has all these traits that you just want to that you should hate him for yes do you know what i mean yeah but you're on his side <laughs> you're totally on his side it, even though he is far from perfect but you could you know you can tell he's still a good person when it comes down to it there's something there yeah yeah he, which he's is what the, the flawed hero <laughs> Which is what the Judy character sees. Yeah. A, a, a person as nice as her, hopefully. Well, I'm never mind. That's wonderful people like horrible people all the time. But, well, you know. Yeah. And, <laughs> and spoiler, we see in the end that he's starting to get help for the drinking. Yeah. You know, so maybe that helps. Yeah, I mean, yeah, by, <laughs> by the end of the movie, it's it's a pretty cool, happy. I like another thing was when the uh, Dink and the guy uh, in the dress with the mustache, I forget that character's name. Um, well, yeah, I forget. When they're when they're hitting on the the women trying to act all cool and the mm-hmm. they say, you know, beat it guys, we're the producers. And when when Adam Sandler says, "Oh, well, I, then I like your show then." That was maybe <laughs> one of the funnier things I've ever heard him say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. No, there were a lot. There were a lot of little things that were, like thrown in there. You're just like, what? Wait. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, and I think I've noticed a few more things over time, just kind of thrown in. And I wonder, considering the group of people who worked on this film, I wonder how much was ad lib, <laughs> right? And how much was you know written and directed, whatever such and such structure. But I, it just had these moments and like the whole uh oh god hold on oh so since you know we had covered death to smoochie i thought i wanted to bring this up okay these song that binky the okay first of all (laughs) binky's my name that song (laughs) binky's song (laughs) oh my god of his it's his theme of his children's show it sounds more like something from a 70s porn like <laughs> late night cable show like screw magazine tv show on cable access here in new york city or whatever that they had in the 70s and 80s <laughs> like that kind of <laughs> intro music because it was just like ugh, it was slimy and i'm like this is supposed to appeal to children <laughs> what <laughs> compare that to the songs from death to smoochie you know what i mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i think uh yeah binky's my name doesn't have the same feeling as my stepdad's not mean he's just adjusting or yeah no other show can match it i know i I just i love tom kenny can we say i love that they're best friends Mm -hmm. when i found that out that just i thought that was so cool yeah. I really wish I could find if there ever was a recording of the punk band they had together. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know. All I really rem- remember Tom Kenny from, though, is this SpongeBob and Mr. Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm, I know he does voices all over the place, but I, right. I definitely dig his kind of humor. <laughs> um, yeah. Although a lot of people were into spongebob before i cared i think it was one of those things that so many people talked about it i actively ignored it right but having a kid has given me a a (laughs) glance a a second glance at the show but whether you like it or not (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah i luckily well i don't know who lets their kids watch stuff that they don't like unless it's educational but you know Mm -hmm. when you can control what they watch it's only your own fault if they watch something like cali who or whatever the fuck my sister's always lamenting my kid watches and <laughs> listens to cool shit because i'm in charge god damn it <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of shakes the clown yes anywho uh... <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know it's this this whole you're right this whole noir mystery interwoven through this story of just this alcoholic clown whose life is falling apart yeah you know he goes to the bar he doesn't know and gets beat up by the tough guys and yeah i don't yeah i don't know I, if, when you see this sort of thing from bobcat goldthwaite it makes you forget about things like hot to trot <laughs> true true <laughs> that's just it yeah and that was some of his stuff yeah. is not great no but i don't know if i don't know how much of a hand he had in that other than agreed his voice and gilbert Gottfried was in it right right i think i, I don't uh with some other show that talks about movies that aren't that good can talk about that. <laughs> uh, I I, re- I don't remember it extremely well, but I, re- I know I've seen it. Mm-hmm. That was 1988. 
Anyway, yeah. John Candy was... Uh, so many good people were in Virginia Madsen, Dabney Coleman, Bobcat Goldthwait. Out to trot? Yeah. So, I don't know. Anyway, Shakes the Clown. <laughs> well, it looks like that he was not involved. I'm looking at his uh, IMDb. He was not involved in any of, of the producing, writing, or directing of Hot to Trot, so... <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> he need you know, actors work. Actors work so they can get their own shit done sometimes. Yeah. So they can get their passion projects done. And also, I mean, like I said, this is... I don't think this is his best work, but it's definitely, I, I enjoy it. I pro- I might enjoy it the most. Mm. It's up there, one or two, somewhere up there. What What do you think your favorite thing of his is? Um, I, I really like Call Me Lucky. His documentary about comedian Barry Crimmins. Mm, I've so heard good. them talk about it, and I know the story of the documentary, but I actually haven't seen it yet. It, uh, it's just, yeah, it's re- it, it's really, really good. So that's, that, and that is, I mean, it's, that you can tell he has more experience as a filmmaker at that point, obviously. It's mm-hmm. later in his career, you know. It's 2015 when he just, he does that, compared to... 1991 you know yeah not that he's made like tons and tons and tons of stuff but he's made some stuff and mm. over the willow years creek or whatever was that his willow yeah willow creek it's bigfoot uh did he do father of the year was that him also um did he do world's greatest dad world's great that's it that's it yeah yeah and then he did god bless america <laughs> so and he's directed a bunch of tv things like Chappelle show and you know mark maron's show i mean mm-hmm. a bunch of different like comedian type things over the years yeah yeah i was you know the police academy movies were coming out when i was like two or three yeah. so my first introduction to him was that i don't really like those movies that much as an adult yeah but you know <clears throat> put away childish things and got this whole other bobcat goldthwait than the yeah. one i grew up with <laughs> i think i saw the first one one time and that's it i haven't seen any any of the others i had no desire it was just like eh, whatever <laughs> like eh? yeah I was too busy seeing weird ass art films <laughs> being bothered. I miss so many like normal quote unquote normal eighties things that people, my peers were watching mm-hmm. that I was not watching. Cause I was watching weird ass art stuff <laughs> <laughs> or I was going back and watching stuff from like 50 years ago or, or before. Yeah. Yeah. I was being that, that person. So, Anyway, that's we are on diversion from the movie. Um, did we have anything else to really say about the movie? No, I, oh well, do we recommend it? I think we danced around that, but never actually said. Or yes. do we do that? Do we do that every episode? Or did I just did we do no, we end we, up? Okay, no, we do in okay. some way. We do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. I I would totally recommend this. I would totally recommend this, but it's one of those, like, I guess, yeah, 
Like, I, I mean, I, I would, I would still like, it would be like if somebody was coming to me and, and liked death to smoochie, I would say mm-hmm. definitely watch shakes. I would just say definitely, absolutely watch shakes the clown. Yeah. But there are certain people I would, wouldn't say absolutely watch this. I'd say, oh no, this is good. <laughs> you know, I would, <laughs> I would just this isn't like, a fun for the whole family kind of movie. Yeah. But I would say, yeah, you know, if you're in a mood to, for this, I think you couldn't, you'd enjoy it. Yeah. It's again, know your audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right now. It's probably still on Amazon Prime. If you don't own it, I I have this on Blu-ray. Um, and if you've seen it before, I, I don't know. I think I didn't start thinking about it like a detective-ish type noir until after the last time I watched it. So I, I, I plan to go back and watch it at some point uh, when I've with that lens. Well, and it's funny if you think about it that way. And hold on, this is gonna bug me. Uh huh. Uh huh. Interestingly enough. Interestingly enough, they. So I was just gonna say, with the way that it is structured as this film noir kind of crime drama, and it's got this comedy thrown in in these over-the-top colors because it is clowns. You know, mm-hmm. I said it, I was gonna say it reminds me of that Dick Tracy night that that you know the 1990s kind of early 90s color scheme. Oh. Well. I just pulled up. Dick Tracy came out in 1990. Shakes the Clown came out in 91. So it is possible that the color palette, like, or whatever, really, like, in some of maybe the noir kind of aspect influenced this. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. Hmm. But it just, it totally has that look. And it feels, in a way, of an era. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Because there were other things, I think, that were coming out at that same time that had a very, very distinct look it's like you know what i mean like some of those i don't know i'm not exactly sure what i'm talking about but there were <laughs> other movies they weren't necessarily marvel type or dc comic movies but they had a, a much more graphic novel comic sensibility mm. with their color schemes yeah yeah it was just a popular trend that you saw in like just different different decor i think too of that era maybe that's what it is anyway <laughs> anyway yeah it shakes the clown shakes the clown i would recommend it but yeah yeah nice. certainly know my know your audience <laughs> but what about you what anything else to add yeah no no i think i think we touched on you know mm-hmm. it's uh, you would recommend I, definitely i would definitely recommend it. i've had i've tried to get amanda to watch this so many times she won't watch it <laughs> she's like you have to let your hype die down a little bit and then i'll yeah, watch it right so yeah i all of these i also recommend talking to your mother so. <laughs> <laughs> all three right across the board oh, what do you want to take a little break come back say what we're doing next and say goodbye or hold on a second i gotta i gotta stop for a minute okay but we don't have to necessarily take a break until just zora has to sit down okay (laughs) zora sit down please
Okay, and for next month, we will be doing the short story or whatever you want to call it. Since (laughs) (laughs) Another one of these. Yeah. Uh, Snow Glass Apples by Neil Gaiman. It was available in a couple different ways. The most common form I have seen it is in a collection called Smoke and Mirrors. And the movie, the 2008, I believe, uh, let the right one in. And our special December, a special December commentary. And yes, separate from that, we will have a, um, yes, a bonus uh, commentary episode. So... Yeah, that's what's coming in December. And we've got plenty of stuff planned for the new year. And yeah, I think that that might have done it for us today. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think we're good. All right. Uh, Darren, you got anything exciting coming up? Uh, Let's see. Around the time that you'll be hearing this, look for either recently out or coming out soon. I'm doing an episode over on the Psycho Semanticast covering Dogma with Paul from Who Will Survive, another fellow Legion show like the v- VD Clinic podcast right here. And and yeah, I don't know. I might be able to plan a little bit more ahead now that the uh, Republicans have lost the House of Representatives. <laughs> <laughs> Things are a little bit more predictable. But yeah, and also, well, no, this is, never mind, this is November. We've got something coming up in January, but it's not even November yet, or it's not even December yet. So how about you? What's What do you got going on over at uh, Devour? Um, over at Devour, we have just started our Blair Witch nonsense. Um, I say nonsense because it's a lot of books. <laughs> it's a lot of movies. It's a lot of short, faux, mockumentary, documentary, what do you even call these things? Yeah, there's a lot. There are video games, comics. It's a lot of Blair Witch that we are just starting to chip into. And yeah, the first episode of that, I guess, by the time, will probably be out around the time this episode comes out. So, yep. Cool. Or, yeah. Anyway, (sighs) I will be losing my mind soon. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've only, how many? uh, I've got 10 books down and no, sorry. I've got nine books down and three to go. Yeah. 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 Something like that. Anyway. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I guess we, um, anything else to say? Sorry. No, no. Um, like, like shake says at the end of the movie and we go to a cartoon. (laughs) And we go to a cartoon. So, okay. Thank you, Darren, as always. Thank you, Vanessa. Okay. Bye.
Three, two, one.